Well, after these last few weeks, I don't know who's actually quite enjoying a cool breeze and a little damp. Anyone? Yeah? Do we get a little, a little cheer for that? Wonderful to be with you again outdoors um, and to have this opportunity to think about a God who is wild. That's what I want to speak to you about this morning. Now, Jesus loved to tell stories, as we know. But most of the time, when he told his stories and he did his ministry, when he taught his disciples, when he ministered miracles and brought about the kingdom of God into the villages and communities all over Palestine and Galilee, almost all of these stories, think about the Gospels if you've ever read them. He was outdoors. Have you thought about that? The amounts of times that Jesus was indoors, the kind of high-profile ones. He was inside a synagogue in Nazareth. That didn't go particularly well. They pulled him out and tried to throw him off a cliff. Another time, he was meeting and teaching in a, in a house in Capernaum. And as he was doing that, they actually pulled the roof off and layered a guy down in. And then later on, he's having trials and um, they crucify him. So basically, he was really an outdoor person. And as he ministered, outdoors people could come and go as they pleased and encounter God in that wild place what God is not tame wild is not controlled wild is not packaged or quantified or spun or planned down to the finest detail think about this Jesus taught a sermon on the mountain and a sermon on the plain he walked through fields of grain, grabbing food and nibbling on them with his disciples. He healed on the Sabbath, as in outside office hours. He preached in a boat on a coast. He preached in a boat in a storm, on the road, on the steps of the temple. He was born amongst animals and he died amongst thieves. He was laid in a manger in his childhood and he was crucified on the day of his death on a hill outside the city. He started his ministry with 40 days in the wilderness. And his cousin, John the Baptist, started his entire uh, life and ministry there, like the first ever hipster, living off the protein of crickets and honey and foraging for his food. And then John the Baptist... And Jesus' ministry started on a field on the side of the River Jordan, baptizing people. And people left the city, came out into a place to meet with God. So as we gather together in, under a little bit of a shade of a tent outside in a field, we are in the place where Jesus loves to work. We are already positioning our hearts and our bodies and our souls to be ready for the kind of ministry that Jesus loves to do. And for the last 10 years, my wife and I have also been running a conservation farm near London called Stampwell Farm, learning from cultivation and wildness, doing theology, doing church, exploring the lessons of scripture and the soul which we find there. And in lockdown, we decided to, to meet inside a forest, outdoors with a little bonfire, so that we could meet together. And like today, for many of us, our main place of worship is now a field or a tent. The wildness of God is real. It has many implications, many lessons 
And after two years of pandemic, I think one thing all of us know is that plans do not always go how we expected them to go. Those of us who've placed a real store by, by making great plans with down to the finest details, in the last two years, almost no plans have gone according to plan. So maybe God is involved in this. Maybe we are being unseated from our controlled and controlling situation. Maybe God is trying to set us free and the church is free from the constraints of control and institutionalization to help us find God in the wild places. And maybe you are here seeking God in this moment. Where is God? Does he know that I've been worried or stressed or anxious these last few months? That I'm here tired? Perhaps we are coming here for direction, for answers, for purpose, for comfort and friendship. One of the things that I've been reflecting on over these last couple of years is the need for poetry in our lives. I want to read you a poem about the wildness of God this morning. Now, some of you are probably used to hearing a good sermon, and I'm afraid I'm starting with stories and poetry. Um, so bear with, as they say. Hear my morning blessing of this wild God and wild goose and wild ways. Hear my morning blessing with wild wisdom, wild heart, wild plays. Hear my morning blessing, which wild will, wild still, wild games. Hear our morning blessing of wild peace, wild joy, wild roar, a fierce love, unyielding as the flame which burst once from darkened shade and pierced the late night with dawning ray, and Lazarus is today tomb stench, lament, and clothed grave. Tears dry as the wild God calls out our name. Come out and stand, defy decay. Morning blessing fall on your morning hair like water from the mountain pours fresh from the valley and laughs away. Free rivulets of plenty in a culture of dismay. Peace of the wild order, pierce my heart's disarray. And so Lord, as we just meet in this place right now, we pray for your Holy Spirit to touch us, refresh us in this moment. Lord Jesus, speak to the situation of our heart and the situation of our lives. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear, for your life is more than food, and your body more than clothes. Consider the wild birds. They neither sow nor reap nor have a storeroom or a barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Or consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin, let I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Jesus starts one of the most famous parts of his teaching with this little phrase, consider the wild. Consider the wild birds, consider the wild flowers, consider the wild grasses, and do not worry. You can imagine the disciples going for a walk with Jesus as he was often doing, and, and Jesus is teaching them, and he says, I want you to look at the birds. And they're thinking, okay, what is it, Lord? What is it I'm meant to be seeing? They're like, okay, uh, there's a lesson here somewhere. Uh, we have claws. Uh, no, okay, that's not that. Um, okay, Lord, it's, uh, 
We have feathers. No, it's not that. I don't know. This is, they're trying to scrabble around as they're considering the birds. And then he draws out for them. Do not worry. Do not be anxious because God is looking after them and you are more valuable than them. Jesus is often telling us that we find the answer to our anxious souls by contemplating him in a wild place and the theology of the wild in an overly cultivated, overly planned, overly institutionalized culture. If we want to solve the situation of our anxious and worried souls, Jesus says, consider the wild. Consider the wild God. Consider the wild birds. Consider the wild flowers and learn that you are valuable and you are precious to God. Have we had an opportunity to do this? And Jesus told many, many stories, drawing on the wild and the wildlife, drawing on animals and creatures. I hear yesterday morning, we thought about the sheep. Do we have any sheep in the audience today? <laughs> oh, the, we, had a, we knew there was a sheep around. I was promising to give me a little bar this morning. Jesus told many stories, including the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15, who wandered off into the wild. And the shepherd searched for this sheep and brought it home on his shoulders. A few months ago, we have a flock of Shetland sheep on our farm. And they were wandering about and they were grazing in the area of the farm that is dedicated as a wildlife sanctuary. And they became totally twisted, one of them totally twisted and, and tangled in brambles. My wife Amy and I were going for a walk early on a Sunday morning and we found one of these sheep completely twisted up. 10 or 12 tendrils of a bramble had twisted together and had just locked this sheep down into the ground, distressed. So we got down and we cut the brambles free and we picked up the sheep and I brought it home to the rest of the flock. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God is like that. This is the root of us understanding who God is and what it means to be a follower of Christ is somehow encapsulated in stories like this of a sheep wandering out into the wild and finding that they are lost and caught up. I was 11 years old and the summer was enormously hot. We were in the middle of a heat wave and it was the hottest day of the year. I was a child at a boarding school just in the north of Oxford. It was Saturday and we were going on a school trip to some dreary stately home or something like that that you have to do on a school trip when the teachers have run out of ideas of what to teach that year and they take you off somewhere. If you're a teacher, apologies, you know it is true. Now, next door to this grand house, a friend of mine had... Um, a lovely house with a swimming pool. And the teachers, in a wise moment, decided after the dreary school trip, what we would actually quite enjoy doing as a school would, would be to, to stop the coach outside and go for a swim and a barbecue and some ice creams. And they were right. So we bundled out, we went to this house, and um, everybody was having a swim and a barbecue and running about and actually enjoying themselves. And it so happened that this friend lived nearby to me. And we're back in the dark ages where nobody had mobile phones and everything was in black and white. And um, the, the phone rang 
And the mother of this friend of mine called Tara said, oh, there's a phone for you. Your dad is calling to speak to you. I'm at a boarding school. So I hadn't seen my father or spoken to him for about six weeks. And he said to me at the time, I've got this really great piece of news, an exciting piece of news for you. Um, your stepmother and I are going to have a new baby. And um, isn't that wonderful? And I said to him, what does this mean for me? And he said, no, nothing, nothing's going to change. But I knew in that moment that he shared that, that actually pretty much everything might change. And this was going to signal something that was a huge shock for me. What does this mean for me, I asked. I put the phone down and I fell sobbing into the arms of that mother of my friend. I got back to school later on that day, trying to come to terms with a huge change in the direction of my life, desperately trying to find some peace and some quiet, maybe somewhere on my own where I might be able to pray. For I already knew that when change and uncertainty would come, sometimes parents will let you down, and school will let you down, and friends will let you down, but maybe there was a God who was able to be trusted, who was not going to let me down. But how do I find God? in the middle of personal turmoil or uncertainty or fear or anxiety or panic. And so I thought to myself, maybe I should go to a church building and find God there. And there was a little chapel in the school. So after, just before supper, I headed into that chapel and there was a boy practicing the organ. Now, there are various studies that have been done to say that if you want to rid an area of young people... Um, they sometimes play organ music in town squares, and after a while, all of the young people go. Um, now, I'm sure there are a few people who love organs here, and God bless you. You can, you can listen to those as much as you want. But for me, I, organs were not, were not a wonderful uh, type of music. And so I said to him, do you mind stop practicing the organ right now? Um, because I really need to pray. Um, because I think churches are primarily for praying, and do you mind? I just need 10 minutes. And he said, no, this chapel is not for praying. It's for playing organ music. And then he pulled out the stops even louder, and which is like turning the volume to 11, and he started playing even harder. And so as I, I ran out of that church, realizing I couldn't find God in the church building, and I couldn't find him in the turmoil in my brain, I thought to myself, the most logical thing to do is to run away from my boarding school, which is what I then decided to do. The next morning, I went for breakfast. I got myself a little backpack, a leather backpack, and, and I had for my camping trip uh, a little roll mat. And um, at breakfast, I squirreled away two, a bit like Paddington, two marmalade sandwiches and an orange that I could take with me on my journey. And I, I stuffed the marmalade sandwiches into my shorts. I had pockets, don't worry. And took them away with me. And I decided to creep out of the door while nobody was watching after breakfast. When they were heading off to chapel, I instead was going to go off and run away to find God and to see if there was some certainty or some peace in the middle of the turmoil that I was going through in my mind. And as I snuck out, some of my friends who were Roman Catholics, they were, didn't have to go to school chapel. They were allowed to go to their own chapel in a minibus. And as they drove out, they suddenly saw me out of the back window sneaking off down the road. And little did I know, by the time I got a street and a half away, 
They got to their destination, told the teachers, and the entire Oxfordshire police force was looking for me. They had been given a small photo of a school play. It's pre-digital. How they could recognize me from it, because it was a kind of 1920s style, and I had brill-creamed hair, and I was an 11-year-old, and they were looking for me in Oxfordshire. And they thought to themselves, where does an 11-year-old boy go when they're running away from school? They go to the train station or the coach station because they're wanting to go home. They could not be more wrong because I was heading out into the middle of the countryside to find a field where I could sit down and read a Bible and pray and ask the question, is there a God there who cares about me? Is there any certainty? Is there any peace? Is there anybody I can rely upon in my life when everything is going wrong? Have you and I felt those moments before when everything is in turmoil? How can we turn to God? How can we find God in the midst of it? Does God know? Does God see? Does God hear? Does God understand? Because I think that other people don't. And I sat there and I read my Bible and I had a little nap and I found a little spot on the outskirts of the city, just by the ring road of Oxford, and there was a little path and a bit of shade on that hot day, and I sat under a bush, a thorn bush on the side of the road, until, on the side of the path, until two o'clock that afternoon. And then I turned round, I thought I was going to miss my play rehearsal, I was big into drama at the time, and so I snuck my way back, and the open window was there, and I climbed in through the window to get into the school again, and I heard behind me, we have located the boy. <laughs> and the police force were there. <laughs> Son, people have been looking for you. They weren't American, but it just sounds so much better, doesn't it? With that kind of American accent. In my mind, they're always American. <laughs> we have located the boy. And somebody drew me to these verses of scripture. That you are more valuable than they. Sometimes we need God to find us in the wild. The wild God is very able to find wild people stranded in wild places. In fact, the Lord has always been in the business of finding wild and tired people collapsed, exhausted on the side of the road not really knowing whether they can go forward and if they are to go forward, where to go and which direction to take in their life. Many people have found these last few years asking this fundamental question, what is the purpose of my life? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? If you find yourself in that wild place on the path, on the side of the road or the field, think of Jacob. In Genesis chapter 28, we hear the story of the fact where his entire family life has been a mess and he's so worried about meeting his brother that he sent like gifts and people and influence ahead of him over so that, that, that the last person that his brother Esau was going to meet was him. And as he was getting ready to meet his brother, thinking that his brother was going to murder him, and understandably so, because he had stolen everything that belonged to his brother through a, a fraud many years earlier, and he wanted to kind of make it right. He's so exhausted, it says, when everybody gone ahead, he collapses on the side of the road and there is a stone that he pulls over and he rests his head on and it becomes his pillow. And in that moment, he has a dream. We call it Jacob's Ladder. But it, in that dream, 
suddenly this, this gap between heaven and earth seemed to be very thin. And there were angels going up and down this kind of staircase. And the Hebrew suggests, in the, in the original Hebrew, it suggests that instead of God being at the top of the ladder and him at the bottom and speaking to him, in fact, God comes beside him and is standing over him as a man, the pre-incarnate Christ, and speaks to him and says to him, I have a purpose and a plan for your life. I will bless you. I will use you. God is looking for you today. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Even if you're tired and knackered and sitting at the side of the road with a stone for a pillow. You have a friend, said God to Jacob. You have a future. I will make your descendants like the dust and the earth will be your inheritance. God takes our moments of despair and transforms it with his presence and his promises. It's 1739 and a man called Wesley goes to a mine outside of Bristol. And as people emerge out of the mine, he shares the gospel with them. Several thousand of these, these collieries, these coal miners. And as they hear that God has found them. You see, they used to work seven days a week. And they'd be down a mine for days on end. And then when they eventually came up. They were so exhausted and so tired and so polluted, they could barely even go back home to their friends and to their family, let alone go to church. So whole generations of people working down the mines had never heard the gospel, never been part of a church, never knew that God gave a damn about them. And so Wesley had to leave the town, come to find them as they emerged, their faces covered with black soot. And as they heard that Jesus saw them and found them and loved them and cared for them, they were so overwhelmed that tears started to form on their faces like tiny white rivulets could be seen across the whole area. Sometimes the very action of being outdoors makes us remember that God is in the business, a wild God in the business of, of finding wild people in wild places. I want to tell you a story. It's a little parable written by a man called Graham Smith. There was once a country where none of the people ever lifted their heads. They always looked downwards, just in front of them. Yet despite this, every person in the country was dedicated to finding the highest tower in the world. But of course, nobody ever found that tower because they were always looking at their feet. They were a restless and unsatisfied people, always searching, always moving and shuffling about. And every day you could see them walking up and down all the winding roads, following maps and arguing with each other about how to find this tower. There were, in fact, signs to the tower on the sides of the road, but because they never looked up, they never saw the signs. Now, one day, a man called Trevor, not his real name, was walking about, and he saw out of the corner of his eye a cluster of people around a lake, and they're saying, we can see the tower. But at, it turned out it was only a reflection, and some people were drowned, and some people said, even searching for the tower is evil. Other people said, there is no tower. And amongst all of this commotion, Trevor stumbled and fell over onto his back. Now, this may not sound significant, but in a country where everybody looked down on the road all the time, and people were always paying very close attention to the, to the way, hardly anybody ever fell over. And after the commotion had subsided and the crowd had dispersed, Trevor was there still, lying on his back, 
And as he opened his eyes, he could see the tower some way in the distance. He tried to tell his countrymen that he had at last seen the tower, but they all thought that he was mad. In fact, it was a little bit of a sign of disgrace and shame in his country that he had fallen over at all, just like that. So Trevor set out for the tower alone, and although there were several roads that seemed to lead towards it, he took the closest one. It was often bumpy and difficult. Several times he tripped over and fell again on his unfamiliar route, as he was unaccustomed to walking in this manner, looking up. But in those moments when he stumbled and fell, he was able to gaze again at that tower and find his bearings. And then he noticed that the only other people that were on this right way were the sick, the crippled, the lame, and the hungry. For only those who had fallen were able to look up and see the tower. Only those who have fallen are able to look up and see the tower. Only those who are running away can be found. Only those who have failed can be saved. Only those who are empty can be filled. And only those who are lost or lost in the buildings can find God and find God in the field. You see, God sees you at the side of the road. He sees you today under the weeds and brambles. He sees you at the pathways. He sees you in the fields. He sees that you are anxious or worried or uncertain about the future. And he says, consider the wild. Be found in the wild place. Be picked up. Be taken home. Be filled. Be healed by the good shepherd. There's an opportunity that we have to receive prayer this morning. And an opportunity also if we would like to be found. I think sometimes people think that the decision to, to follow God is just a decision that we make. But sometimes we feel that we can't even really decide, but we can be found. We can be seen and we can be heard by God. I believe today there are some of you who can begin a relationship with God, not necessarily out of a big decision, but by an admission that you need him and realizing even this morning that he sees you and that he finds you. Remember Jesus said that parable of the lost shepherd, lost sheep, the kingdom of God is like this. And it may be that your thought of church or your experience of church has been disappointing or irrelevant or overly institutionalized. But you're not being asked to join an institution. God is saying to you, would you like to be found? Would you like to be picked up? And would you like to be taken rejoicing on the shoulders of God who bore your sin and your shame on his shoulders on the cross? Who himself wore a crown of wild thorns upon his head on the day of his crucifixion to let you know that however wild or difficult your situation, however many brambles have tied around you, he went to the cross to bring you home. If that's you, where you are, I'd love to give you an opportunity to decide to follow Jesus today. Can we all stand? Is that okay?
and we're going to have an opportunity to receive prayer ministry for, for there's a prayer ministry team there in bright green and they would love to pray for you and we'll do that in a moment but first before we do if there's anybody here and you want to say maybe you've been lost for a while or maybe you've never known the Lord that you would like to follow him today why don't you just raise your hand and a member of those green team will just come and they'll find you just raise your hand where you are and they'll just come and have a word with you they'll give you a small bag to help you understand little notes and booklets to to help you on your journey if there's anybody that wants to do that I'm just going to pray a short prayer and you can echo it in your mind and just if we close our eyes give people some privacy if that's a, a prayer that you want to pray with me I'll pray it now and if you're praying it in your own heart you just raise your hand in a moment God I'm sorry and I've been far from you Thank you that you see me and that you know my situation. Thank you that you died for me upon the cross to take away my sin and to bring me home. Please come and rescue me now. Please come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen.